Sometimes Jesus said some things that I wish he'd never said. Have you ever felt that way when you read the New Testament? Have you ever read something that made you stop and pause? Now don't get me wrong, Jesus said some pretty profound things. People were often amazed when they heard him teach. In fact, in John seven forty six, a temple guard said, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks. So it's not the profound things that Jesus said that bothers me. It's those strong, unexpected statements that he sometimes made that still shock us even today. Those are the things that sometimes make me say, Jesus said what? We're left shaking our heads and wondering, what did he mean by that? What does that mean and why did he say that? So today we're starting a new series, and here's what it's called. Jesus said, what? Come on, you can say it with me. One, two, three. Jesus said, what? And we're going to focus in this brief series on four unusual things that Jesus said that befuddle us, and ultimately, though, is for our benefit. We're going to start out with the hardest one. It's found in Matthew chapter 15. Would you open God's Word to Matthew chapter 15. While you're turning there, I'll tell you that in the 38 years that I've been preaching, I've only preached this text one other time. Let me say that another way. I have intentionally stayed away from this text. I've only preached this text one other time because this text has always bothered me. This text has always confused me. This text has always been something that made me say, Jesus said what? I mean, what he says in this text, and you'll see it in a moment, doesn't appear to be very Christ-like. In fact, I almost titled this message, The Rude Jesus. And you'll see why I say that as we read the text. Verse 21, chapter 15 of Matthew, beginning to verse 21. Leaving that place... Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's what she needed. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and your daughter was healed from that very hour. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. These may be the most astonishing and astounding words that Jesus ever uttered in the New Testament. The the situation is a woman is facing what perhaps is the scariest ordeal that any mother could go through. Uh, She brought her demon-possessed daughter to Jesus, and she is met with harsh words which are highly insulting. 
Jesus seems to be comparing this woman and her daughter to dogs. This is one of those passages that literally make you stop. When you read it thoughtfully and carefully, it makes you stop and say, Jesus said, what? Now let's dig a little deeper into the story because there's two tremendous lessons in this text that we can learn from this encounter. And I want to start by asking some basic questions. You see, there are some questions that you can ask any text to help you understand that text. Howard Hendricks says, if you want to understand a biblical text, you've got to bombard it with questions. So just a little lesson here. Let's have a little Bible study lesson for a moment. If at any time you, you have a text that you can't understand, one of the ways that you get at that text and what it means is by bombarding it with questions. And I'm going to give you five questions that you, you can ask any text. Five questions that will deepen your study. Five questions that will deepen your understanding. They are simple questions, but they are powerful questions. If you'll take that text and bombard it with these five essential questions. So here they are. Where, who, what, when, and why. Where, who, what, when, and perhaps the hardest one, why. If you take any text in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and ask that text these five essential questions, you will indeed have a much deeper understanding of what the text means. And so that's what I want to do with this text because it is such a hard text, such a difficult text to understand. We're going to walk our way through the text asking those five essential questions. And the first question is the what question. What's the first question? Yeah. The first question is where? And so let's, let's see, because we're going to get the answer to all of these questions in the text. All right? The text is going to give us the answers. And so we look at chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place. Now normally, if you're not careful, you'll read right past things and miss some great lessons. You'll read right past a little reference, a little, a little phrase and miss some of the meaning of the text. So we need to stop for a moment because this is a geographical reference, leaving that place. Well, what is that place? Well, more specifically, where is that place? Well, for sake of time, I'm going to give you the cheat notes. And if you go back to chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, you'll see where this place is that Jesus was leaving. It says in verse 34, When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. That's the, that place in chapter 15, verse 21. They landed at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all of their sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Now, the one thing I want you to notice about this place is that Jesus was not reluctant to heal anybody. There was no reluctance at all on the part of Jesus to heal anybody. Now, just file that away in your mind for later in the story. When he's at Gennesaret, he is healing many people. There's no reluctance on his part to heal anybody. So, that place is Gennesaret. We go back to chapter 15, verse 21. It says that Jesus, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are on the coast of Palestine, about 50 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. This was the area known as Phoenicia, and it was Gentile territory. Here's the, here's the big thing you need to know about this place. 
It's outside of Israel. It was outside of Israel. So where? He leaves Gennesaret, and for some reason, for the only time in his earthly ministry, he leaves the boundaries of Israel. He goes outside of Israel. He takes his disciples northwest. They walk about 50 miles to the region of Tyre and Sidon. All right, so the first question is where? Second question is who? Who's involved in this story? Well, we read verse 22 to find that answer. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. A Canaanite woman. She's not just a woman. She's referred to as a Canaanite woman. In other words, she was a descendant of the Canaanite people of the Old Testament. Her ancestors were enemies of Israel. Remember that. Her ancestors, she's a Canaanite woman. Her ancestors were enemies of Israel. Now let me see if you're with me so far. Where is this lady? Where is this Canaanite woman? Outside of Israel. She's living in Gentile territory. Alright, so Mark in his account of this story, in Mark 7.24, says that this woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other words, the Jews would have considered this woman unclean and an outsider. The Jews had a pretty good system in their mind as far as religion and faith and God. Their system was very simple. Here's what it is. Here was the formula. It's real hard. Are you ready? Here's what it was. Jews are in. Gentiles are not. Jews were born into God's kingdom, God's family. They have God's word. Gentiles do not. Jews have God's favor. Gentiles do not. Jews live in God's land. And we don't want the Gentiles to live there. So it, it was, it's a pretty good system if you're a Jew. Jews are in. It's not a very good system if you're not a Jew. Because Gentiles are out. Alright, so let's continue. We find out the who. This is, this is a Canaanite woman that lives in this area where Jesus visited. Now the third question is what? Look at verse 22. This is where it gets very interesting. Second part of verse 22. Well, let's start... First part, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David. That is, she recognized, that, that's a messianic reference. She recognized him as the Messiah. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. My daughter is suffering terribly. Not just suffering, she's suffering terribly from demon possession. The Living Bible says, My daughter has a demon within her, and it torments her constantly. Now let's pause for a minute and think what that would be like. If it was your daughter. If it was your son. And they, they were possessed by a demon, and you heard the cries, and you couldn't do anything about it as the mother. There was nothing you could do to get the demon out. There was nothing you could do to help her. And you saw the fits of rage. And you saw the anger within her. And you saw just the demonic things that she said and did. And there was no way that you could solve that problem. There was no way that you could help her. There was no way that you could fix the situation. Here's how New American Standard says it. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Cruelly demon-possessed. Now, folks, you can't imagine a greater need than this one, especially if you're a parent. 
You cannot imagine a greater need. And if there's anyone who can help with this problem, it's Jesus. Let me show you an example. Go to chapter 12, verse 22. Chapter 12, verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Uh, so I just want you to understand, and there's many other references we could read, just want you to understand that demon possession was not a problem for Jesus. He could handle this problem this lady had. So we go back to chapter 15, and, and this is where it gets weird. Look what, he, look what happens. In chapter 22, or verse 22, this lady says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. How would you have felt if you ran to him and you were crying and you were begging and you were pleading for him to help your daughter and you knew that he had the power to do it and and if he stood there like a statue and didn't say anything? Have you ever been ignored? Have you ever... Maybe it's just at a restaurant. You know how frustrating that is, right? You know, that person behind the counter, they see you, but, but they, they're not taking care of you. They're, they're doing something else, and, and they're just kind of ignoring you. You know how frustrating that is. Or maybe it's in something that you've been ignored in life, and it's far deeper than that. There's a great hurt in your life because you've been ignored. You know what that feels like. You know the anger that comes within you when somebody just absolutely ignores you. Here's this lady in desperation begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And the text says, Jesus didn't say a word. Do you see why I was tempted to call this the rude Jesus? But it gets worse. But before we talk about what Jesus said and did, I want you to notice this. Even though Jesus didn't say a word, here's what I want you to see. Her faith did not give up. Look at verse 23, the second half of verse 23. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. In other words, Lord, you're not saying anything, but she's saying a whole lot. She won't shut up. She keeps begging and pleading, and she's getting on our nerves, and she's causing a scene, and why don't you just send her away? Because she keeps begging, she keeps pleading, her faith would not give up. And so we come to verse 24. He answered. And when he answered, he's not speaking to the lady. When it says he answered, you know who he's talking to? He's talking to his disciples. It's almost, watch this, everybody look up here. It's almost as if she's here, and he turns away from her. I'll show you that in a moment. He turns away from her, and he says to his disciples, look what he says in verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She hears that, of course. As he turns his back on her and says to his disciples, not even to her, but says to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Do you see why I was tempted to call this the rude Jesus? But again, her faith wouldn't give up. Look at verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him, and the words seemed to imply that she... She moved. She came and knelt before him. Maybe she was over here, and when he turned his back to speak to his disciples, she got up and she got in front of him. 
And she knelt down in front of him. And here's what she said. Lord, verse 25, Lord, help me. Her faith would not give up. She's begging again, help me. And then verse 26, this is the one that really has caused me to not preach this text for 38 years except one other time. Verse, 30, verse uh, 26, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now that doesn't seem very loving, does it? The point here is that the gospel, here's, here's the point he was making. The point he was making is that the gospel is, is to be given to the Jews first. That was God's plan all along, that God wanted to present the gospel to the Jews, and then through the Jews present the gospel to the world. So that's why he said it's not right to, to give food to the dogs. It needs to be given to the children first. In this text, the Jews are the children, and the Gentiles are the dogs. And Jesus said the children must be fed first. In other words, translation, I am to deal with the Jews first. You're not a Jew. I've come to deal with the Jews first. Now, some commentators point out that the Greek word that Jesus uses here for dogs is the Greek word that means little dogs, like a little pet dog. But even if that's true, ladies and gentlemen, that's still not much of a compliment, is it? I mean, guys, go home and try telling your wife that she looks like your beloved bulldog. I don't think she's going to take that very well. This is why most of us would say, this lady would be justified to walk away right now. This lady would be justified to turn her back on God and never have anything else to do with Him. This lady, we would say, would be justified to walk away in anger and in rage. But even then, her faith would not give up. Look what she said in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What, what humility. No anger, no pride, just in humility saying, Lord, you're right. I am a dog. I'm an outsider because that's what the Jews called the Gentiles. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And she was basically saying, you're right, I am a dog, but even the dogs. I am an outsider, but even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. And then, in verse 28, Jesus finally answers her. Some have suggested there was perhaps a twinkle in his eye. Perhaps there was something in the tone of his voice. But something encouraged this woman to keep believing and to keep asking. You see, it's, it's hard from the black ink on the white page, it's hard to know what his facial expressions was. It's hard to know what, was, what the tone of his voice was. But there was something in the way that he said that, uh, that the, uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. There, there was something that still gave her hope. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that come from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, verse 28. He finally responds. He says, woman, you have Great faith. Now I want you to underline two words for me. Underline the words great faith. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. I believe this is the reason that this story is in the Bible. 
It's an example of what great faith is. Let me tell you what great faith is. This is the first point I want you to write down. I'm going to give you two points from this this text. And here's the first one. Great faith keeps believing and asking when it would be easy to stop. Think of all the hurdles that her faith had to overcome. Jesus was silent. Hurdle number one. Hurdle number two, the disciples were trying to convince Jesus to send her away. Hurdle number three, she overheard Jesus say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Hurdle number four, he looked her in the eye and said, it's not right to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. She had four good opportunities to give up and to walk away in anger. But great faith keeps believing and keeps asking even when it would be easy to stop. Some of you are facing situations right now where there is no answer in sight. Life is messy. And we have to be honest, life, God can sometimes be mysterious. Life can be messy and God can be mysterious. And someone has said that an essential part of life is learning to live with the questions that faith produces. See, faith doesn't always come easily. Faith is not always, I believe and it got better. I trusted and everything worked out. Sometimes we have to live with the questions and learn to wait on the Lord. Live with the questions and learn to pray our pain. Live with the questions and accept confusion. It's what one author has called the tension of faith. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Would you agree with that? Come on now, do you agree with that? The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ. Do you agree with that? What the Bible doesn't do, though, is take away the, the tension that's found in faith. Yes, we're more than conquerors. Yes, we can do anything through Christ. But there is a tension that is found in faith. And God doesn't take that tension away. And I can't take that tension away for you. The nature of faith is that we trust even when it's confusing and painful. Walking by faith means that I walk with the questions that God sometimes doesn't answer. See, great faith keeps believing, keeps asking, even when it would be easy to stop. Maybe Jesus wasn't being rude after all. Maybe He was showing this lady and showing us that when you have a great need, you need a great faith. That'd be a good lesson, wouldn't it? When you have a great need, you need a great faith. And so I love the way the story ends in verse 28. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Some of you here today perhaps have a great need. I want to ask you, don't give up believing. Don't give up asking. Even when it would be easy to stop, don't. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep asking. Keep living with the questions. Keep trusting, even if you don't have the answer yet. So we've answered four of the five questions. The last question we haven't answered is, I told you sometimes the hardest, but it's sometimes the most important. It's the why question. Why is this text in the Bible? Why 
did Jesus go outside of Israel? Why did he speak to this lady? This is the only time in Jesus' ministry where he departed the land of Israel. He stayed within the boundaries of what we would call Israel during his entire earthly ministry. This is the only time in, in Scripture, other than when he was a baby and they fled to Egypt, this is the only time he left Israel. So you've got to ask the question, why? Why did he leave Israel? Why did he go to this Gentile territory? Well, this text has a very important context. If your Bible has chapter headings, I want you to look at the, uh, chapter 15 and look at, see what the chapter heading is for chapter 15. The chapter heading in my Bible is clean and unclean. Is that what yours says or something similar to that probably? Mine says clean and unclean. In other words, this is what this chapter is about. So let me give you the the context. We don't have time to read through the whole thing. But in verses 1 through 11, Jesus has a clash with the Pharisees about what what is clean and unclean. Specifically, clean and unclean food and, and washing your hands, the ceremonial washing of your hands. And, and there's, there's just there's this big discussion about what makes a man clean and what makes a man unclean. Uh, the Pharisees and the Jews, they had their rules, they had their traditions, they had their rituals of what made you clean and what made you unclean. And Jesus got into a debate with them about that. Verses 12 through 20, the disciples still didn't fully understand. They were leaning, everybody watch this, they were leaning, make sure you, you get this, they were leaning towards the Pharisees. They kind of felt like the Pharisees had it right about what was clean and what was unclean and how you become unclean before God. They, they kind of were leaning towards the Pharisees. So in verses 12 through 20, they basically said, you're going to have to explain this one to us because what they said made a whole lot of sense. You're going to have to explain this to us. Verses 12 through 20, that's what they did. And so, after Jesus explained what makes a man clean and unclean, here's what he did. Beginning in verse 21... He moved the classroom to Gentile territory. Some of you teachers, have you ever taken your class outside? Sometimes it's like, whoo, we get to go outside today. We get to go, we get to play outside or we get to have a lesson outside. I know when I was teaching at Anderson, I'm not doing that now, but when I was uh, in the spring, in the summer, uh, that, hey, Dr. Shorter, could we go outside today? It's awful pretty out there. And so here's what Jesus did. He took the class outside. He took them to Gentile territory. He had just been talking to them about what's clean and unclean. What makes a person clean before God and unclean before God. Who is clean and who is unclean. And so he takes the class. Field trip. We're going to Gentile territory. For the first time in his earthly ministry, he went outside the boundaries of Israel to a place that was unclean. To Gentile territory. And when he was there, he meets this lady. You see, the, the, the disciples were thinking that salvation, somebody's got a phone or something going. Thank you. The disciples were thinking that salvation is of the Jews. And they're still living within that window that salvation is of the Jews. That salvation is, you've got to be a Jew, you've got to live like a Jew and look like a Jew and and all those keep all the Jewish things. They, they were living with that window. And so Jesus said, come on, come on. We're going to go somewhere. And they went to Gentile territory. He had something much larger in mind than they did. And he wanted to show them. So one day he took his disciples to this place outside of Israel to teach them and to teach us a very important lesson. And here it is. 
No one is outside of God's grace. He took them outside of Israel. He took them outside of Israel so he could teach them that no one is outside of God's grace. Now, if you're still trying to find a reason that God should love somebody like you, here it is. God's grace is for everybody. You see, I I love this about the story, and, and I hope that you get this. Look at verse 28. Let me set the context for you before we read it. I think, everybody look up here, I think that it may be that when Jesus was being what, what, what I'm calling rude, I think he may have been playing a part. I think he was showing the disciples, you guys felt like the Pharisees had it all together? I think he was responding to this Gentile woman as if a Pharisee would respond to her, the same way a Pharisee would. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it, if you go back and look at your responses? First of all, this Gentile woman speaks to him. No good Pharisee, no good Jew would respond to that, to that Gentile. So he stood there silent. He stood there just like a, a Pharisee would have. Second response. The second response, what was it? Somebody tell me. What was the second thing he did? When she asked for help, what did he do secondly? Yeah. He turned away from her, and he said to the disciples, not to her, he did not say anything to her, said to the disciples, I've come for the Jews. That's what a Pharisee would have said. Third response. Third response was was the rudest of all when he said, it's not right to take children's bread, the Jews' gift, and give it to dogs. That's what a Pharisee would have said. A Pharisee would have looked at that Gentile woman and said exactly that same thing. It's not right to take this gift that has been given to Jews and give it to Gentile dogs. Jesus was playing a part right here. He was teaching them a lesson. And as the disciples, I wonder, as they're in the background, I'm wondering if they're thinking, that does sound kind of bad. Or maybe they were saying, that's right, amen, preach it. I don't know which it was. But I really believe Jesus was playing a part here. He was trying to help them see how cruel and how vicious the traditions of the Pharisees and the Jews were. How cruel and how vicious it was to think that they are the insiders and everybody else is the outsiders. So he plays that role. He lets them see what that looks like. But I love this part in verse 28. Now let's get to this. So... When Jesus said in verse 28, Woman, you have great faith. And the word in the Greek language, the word you is emphatic in the Greek text. You have great faith. That likely stunned the disciples because this wasn't a Jewish woman. This was a Gentile woman who had great faith. They're probably looking at each other like, Is that even possible? Could Is that even... Can she do that? She's a Gentile. She's an outsider. We're not even in the land of Israel for for crying out loud. And he looked at her and he said, Woman, you, you outsider, you Gentile, you that person that some would call a dog, you have great faith. And it teaches us this second lesson. Write it down. Anyone can be a recipient 
of God's grace. Anyone can be a recipient of God's grace. God's grace is for all people. Everybody is invited. Anyone can be a recipient of God's grace. You see, watch this. When Jesus died on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, he didn't just die for the Jews in Israel. He died for the sins of the whole world. And when he cried out, it is finished, he was saying, I've done everything that needs to be done for mankind to have a relationship with God. I have paid for their sins in full. I have been the sacrifice. I have paid for their sins so that they can be a recipient of God's grace. So the only question left to answer is this one. Have you ever received God's gift of eternal life and placing your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection? Have you ever said, Lord Jesus... By faith, I receive what you've done for me. Because I believe that anyone can be a recipient of your grace. I want to put you to bow your head for a moment. I want to talk to you for a second before we all have the invitation. I want you to understand that word, anyone. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to focus. With your eyes closed, I want you to focus on these words. Anyone can be recipient of God's grace. Jesus went outside of Israel to show that no one is outside the bounds of grace. So that's good news for you. If you've come in here today and last night or last week, you've really struggled because you've blown it and you've blown it big. Anyone can be a recipient of God's grace. If you come here today and maybe this is your first time or maybe you've been here for a while, but but you've just got in your mind that God died for the good people. Anyone can be a recipient of God's grace. If you've come in today and you you say, well, I don't know enough yet or I need to stop this and I need to change, anyone can be a recipient of God's grace. And so today as we sing... I'm going to ask you, if you'd like to be a recipient of God's grace, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, and by faith claim that what He did on the cross was for you, and He paid for your sin, today I'll be here to pray with you and introduce you to the Lord Jesus. But also I'm mindful of the fact that some of you are walking and living with the questions right now, aren't you? You're living with the questions of why. You're living with the questions of God, when? And as you walk by faith, you're living with the questions. There's that tension of faith. But faith keeps believing and keeps asking, even when there's every reason to stop. Maybe today you need to keep believing and keep asking right here on this altar. This altar is always open to you, but especially today, it's open to some of you, perhaps with a burdened heart, you, you want to come and, and just keep believing and keep asking God to do that miracle that you need. As you live in the tension of faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, show us how much you love us and that nobody is outside the boundaries of grace. May someone receive that today. In Jesus' name I pray.